I'm David Rowan, welcoming you to Voyager's Journeys, where we hear the stories of some of the extraordinary impact-driven people in the Voyager's community. Today, an entrepreneur in the Voyager's climate tech group who believes carbon accounting will be regulated every bit as strictly as tax accounting. The carbon accounting system is literally the equivalent of the financial accounting system. That's Luba Miller Jordanova. She runs a Berlin company called Plan A, which offers a data-driven dashboard of its clients' carbon output. Because, she says, everyone from regulators to employees are demanding the transparency that leads to emissions cuts. Luba Miller is also one of the key people behind the Green Tech Alliance, backing companies that put planet before profit and not companies that greenwash their reputations. Welcome, Luba Miller. Hi, David. It's always a pleasure to chat to you. Now, we'll talk about the business in a minute, but let's talk about the alliance. What's the goal of the Green Tech Alliance? How does it work? And what do you think you've achieved so far? A year ago, in May 2020, we found ourselves two months in the COVID crisis with a lot of concerned friends and also founders of green tech companies who are losing revenue as well as also finding themselves losing opportunities for investments and actually hiring people. That was quite concerning. And as a founder of a green tech company, I decided to sit down with some friends together and put our network together and essentially set up a community that today has grown to close to 1,000 entrepreneurs working on sustainable solutions, addressing climate change in various manners. And it really has been a fantastic year for us in terms of the fact that we've seen so many different companies grow, uh, get funding and get access. Ultimately, what we aim to achieve with the community is connect the startups to one another, connect them to experts and connect them to capital. And give us an idea of some of the companies represented in the Green Tech Alliance. What sort of projects are they working on? So we have a company called, for example, Spaceforge, which I love because it's so incredibly innovative. They collect waste, but not anywhere in space, actually. They're a UK-based company that is doing fantastically well, and they really have gone a bit further into understanding the waste management problem that we have on this planet. Another example would be Beno, which is following the concept of uh, farm to fork. And essentially, they work with farmers across Berlin uh, and other places in cities in Germany to deliver similar packages to HelloFresh, but really from the produce that has been grown literally days or some months ago from less than 50 kilometers far from your city. We also have some other uh, cases where we're talking about hydrogen, like Enapta, others increasing the access to funding. One is called uh, Tiva. It's a Swiss company that it gives access to sustainable investment platforms and channels. Many different solutions for all the problems that together build up what is climate change. Now you're in Berlin, but the Green Tech Alliance companies are in lots of places. Indeed, yeah. I'm based in Berlin and all the co-founders of the community are based in Berlin. It's five of us. But since day one, we knew that the community had to be truly international. 
And the reason for this is that climate change is actually a global problem, a problem that deserves its own solutions in the particular geography where it happens, and it happens in different shapes and forms, which is why up until today we have more than 100 nationalities and startups from every single continent on this planet except Antarctica. That's the next uh, milestone <laughs> ahead of us. What is it about Berlin that has attracted so many climate tech founders? In the Voyagers community, we have a cluster of people in Berlin, a few in places like Tel Aviv and London, but it seems that there's something going on there. Berlin is a very particular place. I was living in London for 10 years before moving to Berlin to start Plan A. And what drove me to make this decision and move was essentially the fact that the city was immediately quite welcoming and not necessarily expecting this business-minded focus that is familiar to cities like Singapore or also places like London, Zurich or Tel Aviv. And that allowed a bit more of a gentle approach to entrepreneurship, allowing for a bit more activism. And I think this kind of kicked in initially the space in 2016 when we started I honestly felt quite lonely, not only in London, but also in Berlin. The only difference was that in Berlin, there was a bit more openness to the fact that sustainability was something important. And I immediately found people to speak to, whereas in London, it was immediately, oh, is this an NGO? What is this carbon footprint? What is this like supporting sustainable projects? I think this has been one of the main reasons, just the mindset, the characteristic of the city. And the second one is the cost of living. And I guess the last one is the fact that there is a lot of diversity in the businesses that exist here and time passes a bit in a different manner, which today is a bit closer to what is in London, but in the beginning it was a bit more of a timeless place. And do you think this kicked off because of a few individuals making a decision that we're going to plant a flag? Was it political leadership? Mm, certainly not. I think the city has a history of allowing for a multitude of opinions to exist together, which for the green topic has made kind of a lot of opportunities be available for these opinions to actually be visible, heard and connecting different people. When it was 2016, 17, it was like Plan A and then Make Sense, which is a community coming out of France, connecting social impact entrepreneurs and Green Bus. These were the three organizations that were organizing a lot of events, educating people about climate change, sustainability. That really kicked off a community that was being built. And after that, the discussion really increased in frequency and also started inviting the unusual up until that point uh, stakeholders such as the investors, the government and the Senate of Berlin, as well as some other businesses. So I think this is kind of how it kicked off. And probably there was a few benefits of some key key decisions in Berlin and also the Green Party becoming a lot more prominent, Fridays for Future and so on. But that was kind of happening internationally as well. You've built a community, the Green Tech Alliance, in a lockdown. How do you keep a community connected in a lockdown when people can't actually meet? Well, I think I've learned uh, one or two or 10 things from you on that, but certainly we've benefited from tools such as Slack. We have also been incredibly kind to the loneliness that people have gone through. I think sustainability, when we kicked off the community, was still quite of a lonely journey. As much as it feels like Berlin and all these like cities now, and the topic itself is so prominent, the truth is in May 2020, 
there was barely any investments in the space. There was very little that was happening. And the typical VCs were not necessarily putting emphasis on this. So going back to your question of how we connected people, we really played on the fact that there was a bit of a concern in everyone building this kind of a company that they need to battle this alone. Uh, as much as they might have other people concerned together with them about climate change, building a business and dedicating your day-to-day on that topic was not necessarily everyone's choice. That really played well because it turned out that there was actually hundreds of startups that were feeling quite lonely on their own journey but for building sustainability. So that made the barriers that were there that COVID brought upon us easily forgettable. And we quite quickly were able to connect online. We organized networking events. We have one that is happening on a monthly basis that would gather like hundreds of people. So I think tools and also kindness was the key to the success and the fact that we've been able to grow the community so quickly. It seems, though, that the mood has changed since you launched the Green Tech Alliance. There is an awful lot of capital now flowing into climate tech companies. Only this week, Hampus Jacobson, a member of the Voyagers Climate Tech Group, uh, announced that he'd raised 87 million euros for his fund, Pale Blue Dot. There's Christian Hernandez in our community who's just raised a big fund, 2150, first close at 200 million euros. What do you think has caused that change? Hampus's achievement, as well as 2150 by Christian and the rest, is a validation of the fact that climate change actually proved itself during COVID. People finally started understanding that the repercussions that we could be facing and will be facing are actually quite tangible which means that we cannot necessarily play business as usual and forget about the fact that there's some capex that we just didn't account for. That has been one of the reasons. And then the second one has been the fact that there's really now enough data to learn that there's return on investment when you put money into something that is durable, that is sustainable, that connects people and solves societal issues. These two Facts, I believe, have been the main contributors and a few other elements, such as regulatory pressure, uh, which is coming through the EU taxonomy, TCFD in the UK, Biden being elected and putting climate change as the main topic. If you put these facts together, then we kind of quite clearly see where the pressure comes from and where the excitement to be part of this community comes from. So LPs, the investors in these VC funds, are now seeing both a purpose with what's happening with their money, but also profits, nice returns are potentially coming. Indeed. And actually, there was some really interesting study by Tech.eu. I was participating in an event yesterday speaking about greenwashing. And the data shows that as much as the space is hyped, the money are not necessarily like too much, but significantly more than what we had last year. You can see how the main players, essentially the big funds, the CVC, so Volkswagen is, for example, one of the biggest investors in the greenfield, investment funds like of other corporates also like taking the first top five uh, spots. So there's still a lot of work to be done and a lot of money to still flow into the space. But I think now the educational level of these uh, stakeholders is increasing and they understand that there could be an upside. So, yeah. But I think we're still in the beginning of the space, I would say. You mentioned greenwashing, which essentially is corporations spending money to look like they're sustainable, but they're just telling a story. How big an issue do you find that from the startup side? 
A statistics that blew my mind this week was that the greenwashing activities internationally are close to 50% of all the claims that have been made in the EU. And this is a statistic that comes by the European Commission itself. And what this means is that essentially 50% of the statements that have been made about carbon neutrality, net zero targets, are not really backed by data. They're not backed by science. Greenwashing is bad news for businesses because if you are a transparent one, which is investing resources and employee time and also a willingness to essentially see something change and hit these reduction targets, implement behavioral changes in the company that allow for the company to be more sustainable, you're battling against someone that has simply paid for a marketing campaign to claim carbon neutrality, put it on their website, and then essentially be at equal terms with you. That's where the problem comes from. And I think in the longer term, this really means that our planet is going to suffer because we falsely have understood ourselves as impactful, while actually this has not been the truth. Give us an example of greenwashing. So we had an interesting discussion, I remember, some months ago in Voyages about uh, oil companies and net zero claims. One example that I can give was when BP said that they're going to become carbon neutral by 2025. And to put this into perspective, even big fashion conglomerates that have a lot less of a complex and dirty supply chain allowed themselves until 2030 and 40 to get to the net zero uh, target hitting. But BP actually was able to claim that it's going to happen in uh, less than four years. Of course, this claim immediately got destroyed by a lot of scientists. It became quite quickly uh, clear that this was impossible to be achieved because they didn't even calculate scope three into this statement, uh, which for those of you listening that are maybe not familiar, is kind of the biggest chunk of the emissions. You have scope one and two and then three. Three is kind of these third parties that influence your emissions. This is an example where you can see how the impossible is claimed at the cost of our planet and at the cost of being able to be in line with what's trendy at the moment, which is clearly sustainability. Is one of the key problems then a lack of agreed on metrics that can measure a company's impact? Certainly, this is a big issue. And why this problem exists is because we actually have a lot of conflicting standards. If you look at the ESG topic, for example, you have a new standard that came out last year at the World Economic Forum that was proposed by the big four. And then we also have another one that is called SASB. We have a lot of different now, the EU taxonomy is requesting certain reporting on the ESG level, TCFD. And all of these standards are more or less asking for the same, but in different formats, different metrics collected. ESG in some companies means like 30 questions, in other companies is like 300 questions. And that discrepancy allows for people to, on one hand, be confused, on the other hand, be unwilling to really settle on aligning to something, because at the end of the day, you know, you align to something, it gets changed on the next day, you work across the UK and in the EU and need to adhere to two different standards. It could be quite challenging. Yet one big issue that we face as a society is not understanding that sustainability and this whole ESG topic is a matter of perceiving it as a journey. It's not something that happens overnight. We really need a step-by-step approach on improving our society. We need systemic change. And that means that, you know, carbon neutrality is not going to fix your business model that is really unsustainable. That means that if you buy solar panels to put on your top of your building, 
your oil company or your unsustainable production is not immediately claimed to be sustainable. So that's something that can really help us actually align to one another and be convinced by the efforts that are being made because we're all then playing on the same kind of playing field. You are helping make people accountable by helping them measure their carbon output. That's the day job at Plan A. Tell us what the opportunity is as an entrepreneur and how Plan A is working to solve the problem. Plan A works on using machine learning and science to enable businesses to monitor their carbon footprint and also ESG levels. This means that we connect a lot of different data sources that are sitting within the company and we visualize them all together to allow for the company to understand the status quo and then start taking action. The action in the Plan A universe means reduction, supported by our scientific team that is able to derive different scenarios and how you can achieve really a net zero target. With this in mind, what maybe is interesting for the people that are in the startup field looking into the topic, the space is really new. And as much as we have been working on it for five years, probably last year I could have named the three companies that we would have considered as competitors. This year we have like hundreds, but I mean literally hundreds. Only in Germany it's probably like 100 companies that popped up in the last six months. So clearly the opportunity is big. And the reason for that is that the carbon accounting system is literally the equivalent of the financial accounting system. Where the regulation is going and where also uh, the need for data transparency is going is exactly the same revolution we went through when we started understanding how to monitor and also observe and take lessons from our financial results. So for anyone looking into joining the space, plenty of opportunity, uh, plenty of competition and plenty of complexity because it requires a lot of scientific knowledge. But yeah, it's really exciting times to see because I, I can see how even the competitive landscape is pushing for the quality of the results and of the products to really be a lot higher on a month-by-month basis, literally. So from your website, planA.earth, I can see you've got some fairly big customers, Societe Generale, Atos, and you're giving them a menu of options from the ability to visualize their emissions data, to analyze how they're reducing their carbon footprint, but also offsetting schemes. Explain how they work. So the portfolio of things that we offer is sitting within one single platform. We have an end-to-end solution that is an annual subscription model where essentially you can cover your sustainability needs within one product that has all these different features. Different companies have different preferences and are at different levels of maturity in terms of their understanding of how sustainability fits their existing operations, which means that we need to adapt the system and make it modular enough for it to be applicable to the different needs. Some companies are only there to work with us because they need to report and only after that start thinking about reducing and acting. Others are there to allow their employees to really be participating in the whole company change process. Uh, And others are really focused on reduction and tangible results in terms of reduction. So explain how it works. I'm a business, I'm coming under pressure from my shareholders or my customers to be more accountable, what do you give me? We first do an assessment where essentially we analyze what is the status quo in terms of data availability in the company, in terms of the sustainability maturity. So how well do you understand the topic at all? Do you really have a team or is it more like a green team that is of enthusiasts on the topic from the employees? 
After we understand this, we adapt our system, our product to the particular use case. The product has a foundational piece of the platform, which is kind of the basic that everyone gets. And then there's different modules that are specific to the different use cases. So for a VC, we have a module that can allow them to monitor their portfolio and the CO2 emissions and ESG performance of the companies that they've invested in. For uh, banks like Societe Generale, we're able to have a monitoring system for all of their different offices, premises, and employee CO2 emissions. And once the company is on the platform itself, the system, first of all, gives an overview, a snapshot of what's happening. Through integrations, the data is automatically collected and kind of visualized. And then, based on the worst performing indicators of the company and what the data tells us, we are able to give suggestions on how you can improve. These suggestions can be the low-hanging fruit, but it could be quite deep details related to production and also related to your particular Scope 3 related aspects, which obviously are the most complex ones. The offsetting itself is a bit more of an interesting uh, topic in our case because we don't work with the typical reselling model. Normally, companies that do offsetting are reselling and having multiple mediators in the process. We actually work directly with the projects themselves and 100% of the impact and the money go towards them. And imagine this is a cycle. This continues to be something that on quarterly basis, on monthly basis gets to be observed updated and also used by a multitude of employees uh, in the company. So there's clearly a strong demand. You're a fast growing company. You've got more than 40 staff now. And I see you've raised from investors, including SoftBank and Demeter and Coparian. How much have you raised so far? So far, we've raised around $6 million. And the last round that we did was the first one that was a proper seed one. Before that, we had angel investors. We also have quite a few awards that we won that brought us also money. We have been now able to focus on scaling the team really with like tangible efforts to be able to get towards the Series A by the end of the year. And what do you think is going to drive your growth? Is it customer demand? Is it shareholder demand? Or is it going to be regulation and legislation? We're really positively surprised by the customer demand because we literally at now at the 30 to 40% rate, we're upselling already to clients that we've started working with, which means that they are getting into the depth of the topic to a level that allows us to work on further engagements with them. Regulations are the key differentiating point between Europe and the US, for example, and this is where we benefit a lot as a company, having this framework that is the Green Deal, the EU taxonomy, that are pressuring companies to start understanding how they disclose, how they actually analyze their CO2 emissions. And having these two factors in place, we believe that this is going to be the key elements that get us to the next level. How did you get here? How did you become a green co-founder? I have uh, interesting, maybe maybe not so interesting personal story of how I got there, but I definitely wasn't educating myself about the topic of sustainability as part of my studies in my undergrad and my master's in the UK. I definitely didn't pick this as a career. Also, I've always been in investment banking, also in a bit of VC, finance, fintech, anything with numbers has been what I've been focusing on. I had a bit of an epiphany in 2017 when, after a trip to Morocco, I ended up feeling quite 
disengaged and disappointed in myself in a, a way because at this trip I was able to see climate change firsthand. There was a lot of plastic everywhere. There was a lot of disregard for nature by the local community and by the tourists that were obviously enjoying their surfing trips there. And that got me thinking that probably there's something bigger than my own interest in my own life that I could spend my mind and time on. And this trip stamped me and allowed me to think of myself as an actor of change. I spent a whole year educating myself about climate change. At that point, a year later, I was essentially feeling comfortable enough and educated enough to build a product myself that was focused on the issue and for me to actually become an advocate of the problem. And as the tsunami hit, I not only decided to dedicate myself to climate change, but I also left London, also gave up a few relationships that I, I had, also uh, changed a lot of things essentially about my life and really decided to focus myself on studiously addressing climate change in any way that I can. And planning has been an incredible toolkit to be able to do that because now I have the honor to work with incredibly intelligent and dedicated people uh, who believe in the same mission. Did you come from an entrepreneurial family? My dad has been an entrepreneur since basically after communism. I come from Bulgaria, which means that up until 89, we had communism. And he immediately set up a business and this business still exists and is doing well and is related to tech. So it's really uh, a good example for me to learn from. And my mom has been in corporate for uh, 20 years, but in a tech company. So I've been able to touch computers, play with them since I was a child. I spent my childhood instead of on playgrounds, actually in the Nokia office in Sofia, testing new phones and uh, reviewing them to the management. So yeah, really lucky to be in a tech family uh, since I was born and to learn from them because that also allowed me the freedom to make my own choice without any judgment because they were immediately drawn by uh, the mission and so it is an advancement of their own choices because it was not only tech but it was tech with good. And could you build a company like Plan A in Bulgaria or do you think only in a place like Germany? I left Bulgaria when I was 17 and uh, then I moved to the UK and the UK has been the place where I became an adult and I'm incredibly grateful for it because I had the opportunity to study in some of the best schools and also meet incredibly intelligent and ambitious people. This was what defined my career and the opportunities that I have today because at the end of the day I met my network and at the end of the day you also I'm sure know how important network is with regards to achieving anything in life because as smart as you could be there's a need for you to do it in partnership with others. That's what the Voyages community is for. Indeed and I'm super grateful for it because it has opened doors, it has opened my mind about different topics and I think it's a place where you can really feel further ambition about the mission that we all have. Bulgaria is a bit of a chaotic place and I am proud to be from there, but I I should be dedicating my efforts to build visibility and products in other places to then give back money to the country and give back resources in my time when I have more capacity to do that. So there's a bunch of entrepreneurs in the Voyagers climate tech community who are not quite as far in to their journey as you are. What's the one thing you wish you knew when you were starting Plan A that you can share with some of the people who are at the early stage of their journey? One thing that not only has been important for the beginning of the journey, but it's also important today is staying humble. I think one element of the tech industry that sometimes ends up playing in the wrong manner for the entrepreneurs is gaining too much confidence too quickly. 
I think being humble is one of the best characteristics you can have as an entrepreneur, as a human altogether, but as an entrepreneur, definitely, because then you really have your head at the right place and you really dedicate your time to the things that deliver value rather than the things that make you shinier, make you, you know, look better in your circles. And for those that are setting up companies now, use your kindness and your dedication and your passion to the topic as the driving force for what you're doing and keep that along the journey. Because otherwise, especially in the green tech field, it's really easy to spot fakeness to spot the opportunism, kind of the opportunity-seeking mindset that is not necessarily only with, oh yeah, I'm going to do business out of that, but it's more like, I'm going to make money out of that and that's the trendy thing now, so let me jump on it. So yeah, keep yourself humble and you're going to do wonderful things. One final thing, we always ask people on Voyager's Journeys if they have an ask as well as an offer to the community. An ask, something that we can help you with, but also an offer, something you can give back. Luba Miller, what's your ask and your offer? My ask is for anyone interested or knowing people that are interested in joining a company like Plan A to get in touch. We have 10 open positions at the moment. And what Plan A is, is the team. We have an amazing team, but we're growing it. So head of sales France, country manager France, country manager Germany, head of sales DAC, growth marketeers. Uh, finance manager so all these positions are open so if anyone has anyone in mind get in touch please i'm available on linkedin or over email and the thing that i can offer is access to my knowledge and my network i think i have pretty deep understanding of carbon accounting and i've helped historically a lot of investors understand the space and also helped a lot of people just navigate how they can kick off their sustainability agenda in their company, not necessarily offering our product, but just like the mindset of how you can think about the topic. I'm available to chat to anyone and I, no one should feel shy regardless of how far they are in their understanding to get in touch because the one thing that we have uh, is knowledge and the one thing we don't have is time. So if I could be of help with this, please be my guest. And you are a huge renewable energy source, Luba Miller social network with a thousand of your closest friends in the Green Tech Alliance. Thank you for sharing your Voyager's journey. Luba Miller, Jordanova, co-founder and CEO of Plan A, and also co-founder of the Green Tech Alliance in Berlin. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, David.